not build something based on a really cool idea that we have, like build something that is a real need for people. It's like solving a real pain point. Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honest E-commerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today, welcoming back to the show... Uh, this I don't believe you're the first time that we've had the same guest twice. But I do believe you're the... It's the first time we've had a guest back of the show that was a twice founder talking about two different kind of apps, even though this is good. Whatever. Reza, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Chase. Great to be here. Good to good to catch up again. It's always good. Uh, Reza is one of the first people uh, I met when I kind of dove into the e-commerce community full force five years ago. Uh, so it's been awesome to watch your journey with things. But you know, if someone hasn't listened to the podcast for the last three years, I know you were in the, probably the first couple, maybe the first dozen episodes. I think you were in the po- on the podcast back then. Um, you know, let people kind of know your background and your journey and, and where your street smarts are. Sure. Yeah. So we, we kind of uh, stumbled into the Shopify ecosystem at probably like the most perfect time you could imagine. We didn't do it intentionally. It was sort of accidental, like many people, I think, uh, who didn't really fully understand what the hell was about to happen in, in Shopify's growth journey. So it was like the end of 2015. And uh, my two co-founders and I were just thinking about problems that we wanted to solve. And we were talking to different business owners, asking them about their problems. Um, I'm, I'm not giving you the full journey now, but basically we, we spoke to this one guy. He owned a, a maid service company. And on the side, he also had this like e-commerce business. He was selling like Fabergé eggs or something super niche. And, uh, and so at the time, we were t- asking about his like challenges that he was having as a company in that maid, maid service business. And he told us about his e-commerce store and we kind of that's sort of what uh led us into like seeing what's happening with shopify and it's an app store there and there's all these merchants and there's there's so much momentum there so many missing holes like and so it was a lot of excitement it was it was very clear that 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 was an exciting uh place to be if you were looking to solve problems and so we got sucked right into it we worked on a number of different problems at first um what we wanted to build with Shoelace was very simple. It was like Facebook had just launched their own uh, Pixel. And so prior to that, you couldn't even do any retargeting with Facebook Pixel. It was like a, it was some exchange uh, partner program. You had to go through like a third-party vendor to do retargeting through Facebook. But right around that time, they launched the Pixel. They launched dynamic ads. And for merchants to set that up was like a nightmare. Now you just go to Shopify and you like paste your ID and off you go. But before you'd have to like download your catalog, format it to fit a certain CSV. If you were savvy enough, go like put a XML feed somewhere and then go to your website, access the theme.liquid fire pixel events. Like all that stuff was like very, very complicated. And so we we built a pretty simple app that would automate all that. And it sort of took off and it was very popular in the first couple of years. Um, but then as it got easier and easier to just kind of set up your own dynamic ads through uh, Shopify directly. The utility of an app like that sort of to started to kind of go away. 
and we had this really exciting uh, idea that like, okay, now that it's become easy for everybody to do retargeting, it's annoying as hell for everybody. And uh, that's a lot of what we talked about in the last on the on our last podcast. Like, how do you make retargeting ads more like you know a Clavio experience or segmented, personalized? Feels a bit more like a story. Like you understand where somebody is in their buying journey, and you talk to them according to that, and it evolves. And so, basically, we wanted to build the Clavio for advertising was like the the idea that that we that we had, but unfortunately, it was like a really phenomenal idea. People loved it. A lot of people were rooting for us, like see that come to life because it was much obviously better experience than just hitting people over with the same ads. But we were going against the grain in a number of ways. Like Facebook was going more and more towards like consolidated when it comes to segmentation as opposed to like micro-targeting individual small audiences. So that was challenging. It's always really difficult to build a piece of software on top of like a native ads platform. And so it was just for whatever reason there was the the market was just not there to build a software tool that would build um, you know, customer journey advertising. But the demand for strategies like that were, were very much there. And over the years, we had a number of uh, clients who would ask us to like help them with, with implementing those marketing strategies. And so over time, the natural kind of evolution for Shoelace was to lean more into becoming a marketing services business and help those clients implement, implement these strategies versus trying to like force a technology into the world that wasn't sort of meant to be there. And so we, we kind of uh, made that a part of the shoelace strategy a couple of years ago and started adding additional services. And, and so that was kind of the, the, the shoelace story. And um, I've always been fascinated with like building stuff and product and, and technology. It's sort of what, what gets me very excited. And so about a year and a half ago, I just started to spend a lot of time thinking about what I wanted to work on next, uh, interesting problems that I was intrigued by. And I, I kind of just went and spoke to all of the best marketers that I really respected in, you know, friends and acquaintances we we built up over the years and just asked them, like, what are your biggest pain points? What are your biggest challenges? We wanted to do this time around was like, not build something based on a really cool idea that we have, like build something that is a real need for people. It's like solving a real pain point, which is, you know, important lesson, no matter what kind of entrepreneur you are, it's like, that is that's what makes the, the difference between a business growing really fast versus not. So anyway, we went and spoke to uh, the smartest teams we could find and just asked them, "What are your biggest pain points?" And if if we transcribed all those conversations and we had this like word cloud of the most common word that bubbled up every single time, it was without a doubt creative. Just every single time, creative, creative, creative would come up as the biggest topic on people's minds, something they're thinking a lot about. And we started to dig into that and understand like what's going on here? Why is why is creative all of a sudden something so top of mind for people? And the more we kind of pulled at that, the more we realized that there's there's an interesting problem to be solving here. Um, and and mainly the issue is that you know over time as Facebook became more and more competitive, more and more ad dollars pour into the system, a lot more um, advertisers trying to get the attention of consumers in their feeds. And so the, the platform matures and so does the content. So it, it, it no longer works to just kind of throw a couple of images into Facebook's algorithm and then like scale that to the moon, which was possible in like 2015, 16, we would be surprised with like the quality of creative that you would look at on some of the stores. It's like, how on earth is this, is this working? And it would work like very profitable, 
often like that first transaction was like highly profitable. They didn't even need a, a repeat business uh, model. Like so, all of that really changed, um, and things got more more competitive. And so, one of the dimensions that um, was on people's mind is that like we need to be better at producing content uh, and figuring out what's working and what's not working, and being a lot more intentional with our creative. At the same time, a lot of the points that I was mentioning earlier around Facebook push, pushing towards more consolidation meant that uh, a lot of the edge that media buyers would have around, you know, figuring out how to do bidding and targeting and like a lot of that sort of thing started to just become, well, let's just let Facebook do its thing and it'll, it'll, it'll be able to get to the right people. Um, and so a lot of people started going more broad with the way that they approach their advertising. And it just sort of meant that like creative becomes this really important frontier, obviously not uh, the only thing that matters is still very many things that go into successful uh, paid social strategies, but creative is is most certainly high up on that list. And so anyway, long story short, we've been working on a product to help with this problem, particularly to try to bridge the gap between the creative team and the performance marketing team to create a really good feedback loop between these two teams. Because if the creative team is not powered by the data and the insights on what's working and why, then they're just guessing. And you have this like, you know, siloed effect where the performance marketing team is sitting on all these like phenomenal insights around what might be working. And unless there's a really good way to feed that back to the creative team, then you're not really taking advantage of um, an interesting feedback loop that can be built there. And so that goes into a lot of other problems that we've noticed and, um, and and how a lot of really good teams have been solving that and where motion can can help but that's sort of uh the shoelace journey and the motion journey all in all summarized sorry for the rant absolutely so now shoelace still exists and it only well not only sorry but it is expanded its offering and it's it's uh now both uh, a technology is it what's the best way to kind of describe it like a technology driven service business or you know how what's the way you guys like to phrase it yeah the, the best way to think so shoelace now is is run by a general manager named justin porter a uh, really great guy that we actually the three co-founders used to work together with justin at our previous job before we quit to to start shoelace so it's awesome to to work with justin and have him uh leading the reins over there uh, and has started to put, a, put together a great leadership. Justin is over there with a guy named Brent Sterling, who was running performance marketing at Shopify, and he's uh, head of growth on on the shoelace side. And so, like Justin's doing a really great job putting together a great team there. That the best way to think of is, you know, your your um, marketing, an extension of your marketing team, sort of like uh, an, an agency that you would hire to to help you run your campaigns. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of tech that we built over the years that at this point is a lot of mostly just like under the hood stuff that would help data move around uh, an admin dashboard that would help our uh, account managers, uh, you know, do things a bit more efficiently. We still have our own um, product catalog software. So for anything, any, any kind of product feed ads that are run are all powered by uh, Shoelace Tech. So, so there is a lot of that still kind of lurking around but yeah shoelace is there to help merchants directly uh with with their marketing campaigns through the uh talented uh account strategists that we have on the team now with uh motion and and then just content in general so 
uh, I can't stress how much content comes up on our side of things when, uh, you know, from being a consultant and speaking with brands all day long. Uh, one of the number one questions that we have, like, as we start to kind of strategize on things, is like, cool, like, do you, how often are you producing content? You know, how are you, what types of content are you producing? Um, and it's definitely like a sticking point to growth in many ways because, you know, when brands are kind of tackling, you know, they're, they move out of the product market fit phase, they found that they're no longer, you know, testing an idea, their idea works, there's an audience. And then when they move into that scaling phase, one of the biggest issues that they usually have is like creating content. With Motion, I my assumption is you're not helping people create content, but you're reporting on which content resonates with their audience. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think I think that you described it perfectly where, you know, people have people have this challenge curve where in the beginning it's usually around you know I, I need I need a better way a better system to create more content and once that starts to fall into a rhythm it's like okay I either have like um, a creative studio that I work with or the, the the paid social team that I work with also handles creative or the or you know um, they, they start to source th- some through UGC platforms or whatever the case is, and they start to find a rhythm of producing content. Then the question starts to be, okay, what are, what are we producing and, and why? Because it's not cheap to produce no matter how you, you know, set it up. It's, it's, it's timely. And so the question becomes, what are we making? What video are we shooting? And then it's like, okay, well, what worked? We, did a bunch of stuff and like, how did they do? Which ones of them? Like, what are these, some of the elements that work from the past things that we did? And a lot of times what we've, what we noticed prior to building motion was that, you know, the teams that were, that were doing a really great job at this would take a lot of their data out of ads manager and start looking at it in a spreadsheet, looking at it in data studio, just start like, you know, sift through the data, see what they can find, see what kind of patterns they could uncover. And then once they, once they noticed some things, then it's like, ah, okay, this is an interesting insight. Let me bring this to my next meeting with the team and we can you know, come up with a hypothesis together. But A, sifting through that data is not easy. Not everybody is like a spreadsheet nerd. Um, and it can be very you know, time-consuming to put, put those insights together. So Motion helps with that streamlining the stif- sifting through the data part to get to insights a lot quicker. But more importantly, where, where I think Motion helps a lot is, okay, now we've dif- discovered some insights that... I would think of them more as like data-driven hypotheses than like, ooh, definitively, this is what is working the best. It's like the data can help inform a hypothesis that you go to a subsequent meeting with and say, okay, it seems like this direction could be working. Let's double down on that this week and see if the data holds, for example. And so like facilitating that conversation around coming to a meeting with visual insights does a really great job at helping the team become more data driven. So otherwise it's like, I have an idea and I have an idea. And with creative, everybody has an idea and everybody thinks their idea is going to work. And usually nobody's idea works. It's the one that nobody thought was going to work well, that works the best. Yeah. And so because of this like counterintuitive nature of what actually works, when the data is there in a meeting, and usually that's how people are using motion, like they'll pull it up in a team meeting and someone goes like, Oh, the ads that we did like this, they're all working. And then someone else pulls it up and says, like, no, actually, look, they're they're not compared to these other things. And like it it gets people to like truth a lot quicker or like yeah. you know, using uh 
more informed uh, decision making. So that's that's really the process that it helps like that collaboration process based on data. Yeah, there's some. So the one thing I really want to pull out of that is we kind of glossed over it, but it's this whole thing of each the you will be surprised at the performance of some creative that everyone doesn't think is going to work well. And so what I want to implore any listeners to do is test everything just because you don't think it's going to work. You could be leaving a lot of money on the table. 100%. Yeah. And, I, and you know, it's like not leaving ideas that are that, that could work out just because like, you know, somebody doesn't like it. You know, there's something to be said about like ensuring every piece of content meets a certain bar when it comes to brand identity, you know, not and, and that's mm-hmm. kind of a challenge where the more performance driven folks are like, you know, who cares about anything brand, let's just get that conversion. And so I think there is some balance there. But often, it's not about that. It's just like, you know, I, I prefer this over that I'm, I'm fine with both. But I just I like this one more. And that's certainly not the right approach should test it and see what the data says. Um, and then use those past insights. Like the, the best conversations I've seen are it's you know based on prior insights. It's like we know that such and such is working, and we know that like um, this time of year has this sort of impact on our business. So we're going to put together these different um, findings and come up with a strategy for the next month or the next quarter or something. And so it's like. Um, including that as, as in the piece of the strategizing puzzle. And, and that kind of brings the role of, of the creative strategist that I, that I think is, is becoming really important is somebody needs to pull all that together. Somebody needs to look at the data, but also have a bit of a creative eye. And this is not the person who's buying uh, the ads necessarily, not the person who is uh, creating the content, but somebody in there should be thinking about that creative strategy based on based on the insights, but also based on the kind of subjective creative elements. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, maybe Electric Eye can help. Our team has helped our clients generate millions of dollars in additional revenue through our unique brand scaling framework. You can learn more about our agency at electriceye.io. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Y-E.io. Mesa is the Shopify expansion pack to level up your brand. By turning all your internet-connected apps into your business epicenter, Mesa can lighten your workload and tame the day-to-day chaos of running your store. Join other successful brands that have learned how to balance clever workflows with a solid infrastructure to get more done without more overhead. Whether you need to order data in Google Sheets, products on Etsy, or customers added to HubSpot, Mesa has you covered. Peace of mind is right around the corner when all your apps are working seamlessly together. To put it quite simply, Mesa is a better way to work. Search Mesa, that's M-E-S-A, in the Shopify App Store and download the app today. Is your store holiday ready? Now is the time to make sure you and your team are prepared for the busy season ahead. Gorgeous, an omni-channel help desk built for e-commerce has machine learning functionality that takes the pressure off small support teams and gives them the tools to manage a large number of inquiries at scale, especially during the holiday season. Gorgeous combines all your different communication channels like email, SMS, social media, live chat, and even phone into one platform and gives you an organized view of all your customer inquiries. Their powerful functionality can save your support team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. 
Merchants can close tickets faster than ever with the help of pre-written responses integrated with customer data to increase the overall efficiency of customer support. Their built-in automations also free up time for support agents to give better answers to complex product-related questions, providing next-level support, which helps increase sales, brand loyalty, and recognition. Eric Bandholtz, the founder of Beard Brand, says, We're a seven-figure business, and we have essentially one person on customer support and experience. It's impossible to do it without tools such as Gorgeous to help us innovate. Learn how to level up your customer support by speaking to their team. Visit gorgeous.grsm.io slash honest. Mention this podcast when you sign up to get two months free. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S dot G-R-S-M dot I-O slash H-O-N-E-S-T. Our partner Rewind can protect your Shopify store with automated backups of your most important data. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, and collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Trusted by over 100,000 businesses, from side hustles to the biggest online retailers like NYX, Gatorade, and Movement Watches. Best of all, respond to any of their welcome emails and mention this podcast, Honest E-Commerce, and get your first month absolutely free. Getting an online business off the ground isn't easy. So if you find yourself working late, tackling a to-do list that's a mile long with your fifth cup of coffee by your side, remember... Great email doesn't have to be complicated. That's what Klaviyo is for. It's the email and SMS platform built to help e-commerce brands earn more money by creating genuine customer relationships. Once you set up your free Klaviyo account, you can start sending beautiful branded messages in minutes thanks to drag and drop design templates and built-in guidance. And with e-commerce specific recommendations and insights, you can keep growing your business as you go. Get started with a free account at klaviyo.com slash honest. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash H-O-N-E-S-T. So what we've established here is, is when you've got the content and you're, you're testing it, and now you've got a tool that you can use to take that and help inform the direction of future content creation. Um, let's go back to kind of that, that first sticking point of, of you know, getting getting you know to a point where you have this content to test um i don't know about you but we we like to tell uh clients or prospects or people listening to the show you know there's three systems that you should probably try to work out as you're building your business and so the first system with content creation is like you need to own and have some sort of cadence internally within your organization that you are constantly producing content um, and whatever way that is easiest for you to get what you want, you know, lifestyle photography or videography, maybe it's on flat, like that's what you guys are good at, whatever. You guys need to build a system out like that and some SOPs and a cadence of getting that done. And then you need to double down on that by hiring somebody or partnering with somebody to do basically the same thing, but with their kind of creative visual element behind it. You know, I would also argue like if you're doing on flat is like your whole thing that you do internally, maybe hire a lifestyle photographer to augment what you're doing, right? So you got one system you're doing internally, one system that you're doing externally with like a partner. Uh, you could also figure this out with influencers as well. That's a whole other avenue that you could do kind of with bu- building this partnership angle to get more content in. And then the third one, which everyone really overlooks is ask your customers for content, get that user generated content going. That one is where you're going to get some really surprising results when you plug that into you know an application like Motion to kind of see what the data is going on. Um, but like uh, you know, other than those three kind of angles of how to try to get creative 
injected into an e-commerce business. Is there anything I forgot to mention or any anything else that you've seen people do? I think that's really great. I, I really like the I really like the kind of baseline of creative production owned at the brand level, and then other partners are there are there to supplement that. I think that also helps instill a culture of content production at that brand. So when they're working with those partners, you know they're they're able to have better relationships because they are going into the weeds a little bit in terms of content creation. So I really love that. Even if the, even if a brand is working with partners, having some amount of that in house seems like a really great idea. I think the only other thing that comes to mind, you touched on influencers, and I think that's um, it's a really interesting category for content creation. There's obviously a lot of influencers out there that can help, and you're almost seeing this this evolution also too, where a lot of people would think about influencer marketing as an interesting channel where you can work with an influencer to you know have a new acquisition channel, like access to their audience, let's say, but a lot of a lot of value can be had just by using influencers for their content, not necessarily needing them to post anything and like having them to to help produce content that you're going to use in your own campaigns, your own advertising. And so that's one thing. The other is, um, I think a lot of times when a brand owner, and this is again, kind of touches back to that creative strategist role. If you go to an influencer and you send them your product and you say, Hey, you know, you're creative, like do something cool. And you you leave it up to them to to come back with something interesting. Like every single creator is going to have to go through the entire like learning curve of, of what works for your business and for your audience. It's a it's a very inefficient way to do that. Whereas if it's a little bit more scripted, a little bit more like, hey, we think the first few seconds should be like this. Really zoom into this part of our product, and then like close out with something like this, and then you know maybe in the middle, just you know be authentic and do do whatever you think makes sense. Like some sort of guidance there on on uh talented content creators um putting them in the right direction i think adds a lot of value versus just leaving it entirely up to them the the customer bit is interesting though because you can't necessarily tell them <laughs> exactly how to how to yeah how you to, can't tell them how the how the how the sausage is made we're like hey like this is how we sold you <laughs> yeah yeah and and i mean that'll be if it's authentic you want it to be authentic anyway like that's great but if you're you're going to send it to an influencer might as well direct them and uh and get the best outcome you know you could okay so now that you said that i'm like ah oh, you could probably do it so if you were you know, trying to drive up your user generated content, you know, asking for that stuff through your emails and, and, uh, and, you know, whatever through socials, you could, you could probably position it in a way of like, here are some examples of great content we've gotten from other, you know, customers. And that could probably be like the most highest performing ones to then inspire people to maybe, you know, try to replicate that. Um, I think you could be a little more on the nose with influencers, be like, you know, here's a bunch of data. These are the things that perform well. Like, please keep these in mind when you're creating. Yeah, and and I mean, the, and the key to that is like is knowing those things, right? It's oftentimes the issue is that like the the brand teams or or, or the or the media buying team, no one really knows. No one really knows what what is working that well. And so there's a lot of confusion around like, okay, what's the right way to what's the right way to test? And and what's what I always find really fascinating is that when people think about this topic. They're always th- thinking about like micro tests, like oh, should the background be this color? Should the background be that color? And like these, for whatever reason, like that—that's always the example that comes to mind when th- people think about like creative testing. But to me, it's like 
you know, first you want to start at the high level concepts. Like, is this an unboxing theme? Is this like a customer testimonial? Is this like, what are the highest level themes that we can bucket these different concepts into? And like, let's have an understanding at that level of, hey, it looks like this type of content works well at the top of the funnel. This type of content works well at the bottom of the funnel. Most teams, I would say, don't even have like that level of of uh, of awareness around just high level concepts, and they get caught mm-hmm. up into very very kind of micro detail testing, and you can get very lost in that uh, very very quickly. Um, and most people don't even have the audience sizes to make those kind of like micro differences statistically significant anyway. And so, like, th- th- I think there's a, there's a there's a big sort of thing to to watch out for there is like start high level, start with concepts. Um, ad format is a really, really interesting one. Like some people, some people will take for granted and be like, oh, video is the best, is the best uh content type for Facebook and Instagram. And it's like not necessarily like it, if you look at the data and just compare format types, you might see I I've I've bumped into this a number of times where like for certain apparel brands, carousel does better every single time. Is, you know, it feels like a shopping experience. They'll discover a feed of products on their, on their social feed and they'll kind of skim through it. Uh, or in many cases, like images way outperforming video. And those are really interesting because videos can be very, very time consuming to, to, to do. And if you're operating under this assumption that uh, videos are always performing better, you might be you know losing losing an opportunity there so i think starting at the high level what are the at the basic ad format which one which one is doing better and kind of slowly going down and we've probably spoken to like 2 or 300 teams at this point really looked at their process and i would say very few if not nobody was at the level where they had those like high level concepts nailed and now they're just like ma- mastering the, the 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 micro test of like background is red versus background is blue. That right there is the reason people listen to the podcast. Is <laughs> yeah, you need to you need to make it very simple and high level. Top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel. Test broad concepts in each of them, and see what works. Then start to drill down into them. Um, yeah, if you start. In the minutia, you're you're hope it's a shotgun spray. You're just hoping that you picked the right one to test at the beginning. Exactly. Yeah, and you know, and there's 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 something else I really like. Maybe your your listeners will enjoy. I know some people are to do this, and others, whenever they come across it, it's like uh, people really love it. But it, it's a very common analysis that you could do. That's very very effective, particularly for video ads. Because they're so time consuming, sometimes the best thing to do with videos is just like chop them up and move this part here and, and change the beginning. And so like the, the, the analysis is to look at the thumb stop ratio of the video. So that's basically the first three second plays divided by the impressions. So it kind of gives you the conversion rate of people who stop their scroll and watch the first three seconds of the video. And so obviously, the higher that percentage, the better. I think a decent benchmark for that is like 25, 30% is a good, is a good goal that, you know, that's what a video should shoot for stopping mm-hmm. at least 25, 30% of scrolls. And so then in you, and this is what the sort of analysis that motion makes very, very visual is you can look at your, your top spending videos for the week and organize them by the highest thumb stop ratio. 
and you look at all the ads that had the best stop stop ratio. So, you know, the first three seconds is working really well. And you pair that against the conversion rate. So their click to purchase ratio. And very quickly, you could see, ooh, there's an ad here that is doing a phenomenal job converting people. But there's an ad here that's doing a really great job at stopping the scroll. So you might take the first three seconds of this video and just like pop it to the front end of that piece of creative that was doing really well or, or get inspired by that. And those kind of things can be really, really interesting and fun. And teams really enjoy that where you know you have a winner edit the first three seconds and it does even better because you're feeding even more people into that funnel of a high performing creative. Oh, that's, that's amazing advice. Uh, is there anything else that I forgot to ask you about that you think would resonate with our audience today? Naming conventions. That's, that's always an important one on this topic. So naming conventions, this idea of like, what are you naming your ads is I think a really important part of the process. I think for people who are, um, just kind of starting out, start wanting to build a good habit and good culture around using data in their in their creative process. I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, be too too worried about it to start because a lot of people can go overboard with like, okay, I need to go back and and look at every single ad that we've run since the beginning of time and go and like update my ad name so that it it contains the variables I care about. So that's probably overkill. But you know, going forward, if you look at all of your ads. A good rule of thumb is that like can you can you see a level of organization there is a good is a good thing to shoot for. And like even some of the best teams have it where like they're moving fast and things aren't like you know fully organized and that's okay, but it's like something to move towards of how do we get to a structure where on first glance you look at the the ad names and you're like, okay, there's there's some there's some structure here and you can tell that it's organized. It's like a good um, good thing to shoot for. And then it's like, okay, what do we actually put in these ad names? You want to put at least like three, four, five variables that are important. We talked about those like high level concepts. That's, that's the extent to which they should be included in the ad names. Like if it's important enough that makes for, you know, a high level theme, high level concept, it should be included in the ad name. Cause that way you can, whether you're using a spreadsheet or a tool like motion, you can very easy, easily pull up analysis that, that you care about. And I just think it's what I've seen is like once a team gets everyone together, implements a good naming convention structure, and everyone sticks to it, it has a really like important cultural effect where, okay, we're now serious about data and data analysis. Because if it's almost like a sign, right? Like if, if, if the ad names are not very clean, it's probably because we're not looking at the data. Well, we should probably be looking at the data. Therefore, the ad names should be clean. And so I think it's a good, that's a good habit to instill on a team. And, uh, and it, can, it can really help on all aspects of implementing a good process here. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Reza, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. And I'm sure I'll have you on again in the next couple of months. And we'll just drill down into kind of that strategy of like, these are the things to test at these different levels. I think that conversation will be super, super fun. Um, if people are curious about Shoelace or Motion, where should they where should they head? Sure. Yeah. Shoelace is on uh, shoelace.com. We weren't able to get the full .com for Motion yet, but one day motionapp.com is, is where you can find that. And I'm on Twitter at uh, Reza Kajavi on Twitter. And you can also shoot me an email, reza at motionapp.com. 
And uh, yeah, great to chat with you, Chase, and look forward to catching up again soon. All right. I can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own business. You can find all the links in the show notes. Make sure you head over to honestecommerce.co to check out all of the other amazing content that we have. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review. And obviously, if you're thinking about growing your business, check out our agency at electriceye.io. Until next time.